I invite you to take out your Bibles, if you have one, and turn with me to Daniel chapter 9, as we have been uh, working our way through this Old Testament uh, book. We're in Daniel 9 tonight. It is a marvelous passage where we find uh, one of the longest uh, prayers recorded in Scripture, Uh, and then we also find near the end of chapter 9 a third vision. So we're going to look again at uh, the entire chapter, Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 1, reading through the end, verse 27. This is God's Word. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets." All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against Him. He has confirmed His words which He spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like that which has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that He has done, and we have not obeyed His voice." And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. 
Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our own righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks." Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to us. Let's ask his blessing now. Father in heaven, this is your word. Teach us, O Lord, according to its truths, that we might see you, that we might see Christ, and be built up in faith Create faith where there is no faith, O Lord, and we will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of my all-time favorite professors in seminary was a Welshman by the name of Howell Jones. Uh, Dr. Jones was a bit of a a living legend, uh, having served alongside of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in London earlier in his public ministry. Um, Whenever Dr. Jones would speak, everybody would stop what they're doing and listen. Uh, I love to hear Dr. Jones preach. I loved his, uh, his wit and his sense of humor. I, I loved uh, the fact that I could approach him as a sort of grandfather-type person who would always be available for me to ask questions of. Uh, but what I loved the most about Dr. Jones uh, was listening to him pray. It was an unforgettable experience 
uh, to hear him pray. It, it felt as if you yourself were taken up into the throne room of God itself. It was a, a remarkable experience to listen to him pray. And that's, that's the sort of thing I picture Daniel uh, being like, listening to Daniel pray. Daniel was a well-versed in prayer. His life was forged in the school of prayer. And here in chapter 9, uh, we're invited in to listen to Daniel praying and pleading to God for mercy on his own behalf and on, the be- on behalf of his people Israel. But even Daniel would not have even believed what God had in store for him as an answer to this prayer. And it's that that I want to look together at tonight. First, uh, Daniel's prayer, the prayer itself, and secondly, God's answer to Daniel's uh, prayer. So the prayer itself, uh, quickly context, and then we'll look at the content. Uh, This prayer is the fruit of Daniel's personal Bible study. Uh, Daniel opens up the Old Testament scroll to the prophet uh, Jeremiah. And we've looked together at Jeremiah and its influence on Daniel already, uh, especially Jeremiah chapter 29. And uh, Daniel was reading again and rereading Jeremiah, and he probably came again to chapter 29 and verses 10 through 14. If you're interested, following along, look at Jeremiah 29. Uh, verses 10 through 14, where Daniel then reads the following. Verse 10, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise, and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I, God says, will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile." Well, Daniel does the math after reading Jeremiah 29, and if the countdown began in 605 B.C., which is when Daniel and the first wave of exiles were taken from Jerusalem, then we're only a couple of years away from that 70-year period having concluded. But what should strike you as it struck me is this. Daniel does not presume upon the promise of God Daniel prays fervently in light of the promise of God. It's that promise of 70 years that then fuels Daniel's prayer. He calls upon the God of his promise and calls his promise down in this prayer. But let's see his disposition. He sets his face to God, seeking him, pleading with him for mercy, He's covered in in sackcloth and ashes. He fasts. 
This is not just a quick and casual thing. For Daniel, this, this, uh, this is a thorough thing. He gives his entire body, his entire um, energy to this prayer, to bringing this prayer before the living God on behalf of Israel, his people, in light of God's promise. Well, let's look then at the content of Daniel's prayer. First, we find adoration. Adoration. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, Daniel prays, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant. Nowhere in Daniel's prayer will you find Daniel blaming God for being unfair, blaming God for being unjust. In fact, it is because God is just. It is because, you see, God is righteous that Daniel knows he and Israel is in this predicament. It is because God promised it would be if they refuse to heed his voice. So listen, halfway through verse 11, he says, And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like that that has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Verse 14, the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And so he begins his prayer by simply adoring God for being the great, powerful, covenant-keeping God that he is. He doesn't blame God. He doesn't blame God. And it's within that context, then, that he brings this prayer of confession. He brings this prayer of confession. I want you to notice that, that nowhere in this prayer of confession do we find uh, the, the words and phrases uh, that we've grown accustomed to in our contemporary context and maybe uh, we've used this week or even today. Nowhere when Daniel confesses sin uh, does he call it uh, a mistake. Daniel does not speak in the language of, um, I committed an error. Uh, Nowhere do we hear Daniel say, uh, I'm sorry if I offended you. Or, uh, this is just a particular weakness. Look with me. Look at the language. Verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. Notice also the plural language. Did you, did you catch that as the text was read? Over and over again, Daniel inserts himself into the confession, we and we and we, down in verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin, my sin, and the sin of my people Israel. 
Daniel was a very godly man, a man of integrity, a man of piety, a man who knew that even in his, his um, elderly sort of walk with God, he himself was a sinner, and so he, he puts himself into that. Uh, notice he's specific as well when he confesses, verse 6, we have not, here's the specific sin, listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings. We have not listened to uh, your prophets, verse 11. In other words, we have refused to obey your voice, God's voice, through the prophets. Picture uh, Israel as if they were on an airplane, boys and girls. And from the back was the flight attendant who, who gives the, the instructions, and then there's a flight attendant at the front of the plane showing the instructions and, and articulating the, the, the instructions of, of what to do in the case of an emergency. It's as if uh, the voice from the back is the voice of God, and the one at the, the forefront of the plane is uh, the, the, the prophet and yet all of the Israelites are sitting in their seats and they have their headphones on and their music is, is turned up and they're completely ignoring the flight attendant. They refuse to obey God's voice spoken through the prophet. This is specifically their sin. And Daniel calls it what it is. Notice with me also, tragically, the end of verse 13. If your Bible's open, look at, at, at the tragedy. It says, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. In other words, for these last 68 years or so, we have done very little to learn our lesson. We have not heeded God's voice. He has disciplined us, and we have remained hard-hearted. Our ears have remained shut off from the voice of God. We have not turned. We have not learned. We have not humbled ourselves under His mighty hand like a hard-hearted child, like a rebellious teenager, like a stubborn old man. Israel refused, even in this time of exile, to to heed, to hear, to learn. Well, upon confessing his sins and the sins of his people, he then goes into petition. He then petitions God, and there are three grounds upon which he makes his appeal. There are three grounds for which he makes his supplication before God. First, he appeals on the basis of God's righteousness or on the basis of God's justice. Verse 16, according to, on the basis of all your righteous acts. In other words, Daniel's saying, because you've promised, since you are a just God, and 
since you are true to your word, do as you have written, do as you have promised. Nowhere in the entire book of Daniel will you find the covenant name Yahweh except in chapter 9. And in chapter 9, you see it seven times. Daniel is calling down the covenant name of God. Remember your covenant. Remember your promises. This is why he says, I think, in verse 15, And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your redemptive acts. Remember how you have called us by name. Remember how you trained us to walk before you on the basis of who you are, on the basis of your justice, your righteousness. Hear us. Secondly, on the basis of God's glory. On the basis of God's glory, look at verse 17. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake. O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Again, in verse 19. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name, for your own sake do it. You see, we're becoming a byword, says Daniel. Your people are being laughed at. Your city, Jerusalem, is being laughed at and scorned at. For your own glory, God, restore us. Another professor at seminary, Ian Duguid, writes this. If Israel perished in exile, it might be a fitting and just punishment for them, but it would lead the nations to question God's power. Was the Lord, after all, unable to deliver his own people and give them the things that he promised? To show the greatness of his grace and to vindicate the honor of his name, the Lord must once again restore them to his favor on the basis not only of your justice and righteousness, but also on the basis of your own glory, upon your own namesake, that the nations might see your power and give you glory, that the nations might see your grace and come to know you as the living God. Hear my prayer. But then also he appeals thirdly on the basis of God's mercy. Verse 18. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Daniel understands through years of walking with God by faith that repentance isn't just admitting your sin, though that's part of it. Repentance is turning to the mercy of God. 
on the basis, not of my own righteousness, not on the basis of my own performance, not even on the basis of my own prayer, but on the basis of your mercy. Receive your people back. And then in verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Daniel is pleading with his heavenly father on behalf of his beloved people, but a people that have rebelled, that have refused to listen to the voice of God. The question that remains, the, 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 the drama of the text here is now, well, how is God going to respond? And I think we make a mistake if we uh, end the, the message there as many do. I think we miss the answer within the context to Daniel's prayer. So secondly, I want you with the time left to consider with me God's answer to Daniel's prayer. Notice that while he was still praying, so it links, doesn't it, Daniel's prayer with what happens next. While, verse 20, I was still speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, Gabriel came again for the second time. The angel from heaven Daniel says, by the way, that it was at the evening sacrifice, which I think is really interesting uh, because uh, the Israelites had not been able to do the morning and evening sacrifices for almost 70 years, and yet this is the cadence of Daniel's faith. This is where his priorities lie, morning and evening sacrifice. So even when writing about this, he can say, I think I recall it was during the time of the evening sacrifice that Gabriel shows up with a message. He tells Daniel that, that as Daniel prays, God heard his prayer. While Daniel was praying, God heard his prayer, and he's going to send an answer. The answer comes in, in, in a vision. Now, this vision is one of the hardest visions in Daniel, if not the Scriptures. And this is where people get uh, overwhelmed in the weeds. They get out their graphs, right? They get out their charts. And they start doing measurements and playing gymnastics and tricks and trying to figure out exactly when these things took place. I want you to notice, however that Daniel is meant to understand this vision. Verse 22, I have come out to give you insight and understanding. So it was never God's intention for Daniel to get lost in a bunch of graphs and charts. Well, the vision speaks of 70 weeks or better, 70 sevens. And maybe your minds fast forward to Peter when he asks provocatively, Shall I forgive a man seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. 
over and over again. There is this sense of completion, of fulfillment. Uh, scholars and commentators and theologians debate the, uh, the, 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 the dates and the time frame, 490 years, when do we start it, when do we end it? Does this uh, refer to uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, which we saw earlier in chapter 8? Is it all about Antiochus? Has this already been fulfilled in our own day? Uh, is this talking about Jesus and the final judgment? Or, or are these, uh, these, these words, these symbols, these pictures uh, laying out for us the period of time uh, when Cyrus issued the decree for the exiles of Israel to return to Jerusalem all the way up until the day of Jesus and then uh, culminating in the destruction of the temple in 70 AD? I, I think it's the third. I think it's the third. But I don't want us to get lost in what ifs. This is what matters. I think verse 24 uh, is the helpful summary of what's happening here. I think verses 25, 26, and 27 sort of flesh it out, but I think 24 is really the heart of the vision. Listen, 70 weeks are decreed about your people, or 77s, and your holy city. Listen to the language. To finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. I think what's being described here is the coming of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, which would have been about 500 years after Daniel's day. See, see what, what's happening here? Daniel prays uh, that God would fulfill his promise and would return the exiles back to Jerusalem. And I think what's happening is that God is saying, not only will I do that, I'm actually going to do something far better than that. I think God is revealing to Daniel that he's the God who does abundantly more than we can even ask or imagine, that even Daniel could, could comprehend in his own day. It's good and it's right for Daniel to want to return from exile. That's a good desire. That's a godly thing. And yet I think what God is telling Daniel in this vision is, I have something even better for you and even better for your people. Sinclair Ferguson says, the Lord wanted Daniel to see beyond these things to what they foreshadowed, namely the sacrifices of the temple, which were all types and shadows, but were not the reality themselves. These old covenant sacrificial system things couldn't ultimately take away sin. The blood of bulls and goats could not remove sin. They could not deal with Israel's deepest problem, namely their rebellious hearts. God is saying to Daniel and Daniel's people, as bad as you want exile to be over, I have even bigger and better things in store. See, Israel's biggest need wasn't relief from their present circumstances, though I'm sure they thought it was. Their biggest 
deepest, most urgent need was to find forgiveness through the blood of the coming Lamb who's prophesied here in this vision of the 77s. The one who would come to put an end to sin once and for all. The one who would come and would atone for iniquity. Who would sit down at the right hand of God having finished his work upon the cross and rising again from the dead. Who would bring in everlasting righteousness. You might remember that in chapters 7 and 8, after receiving the visions, Daniel was appalled and overwhelmed and, and sick literally to his stomach and could hardly function. But we don't find that here. No wonder. For here in chapter 9 is one of the most beautiful phrases found in Scripture. Verse 23, at the beginning, Daniel, of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Despite all of your rebellion, wickedness, refusal to listen to my word, you're greatly loved loved. God has remembered his covenant. And friends, we're no better than Israel. We're wicked. We're sinful. And oftentimes, we're the ones with our headphones on doing everything we can to tune out God's voice. And even when he lovingly disciplines us, sometimes we don't want to hear it and we don't turn and we don't humble ourselves because we're too busy living our own little life and kingdoms. On what basis can we turn tonight? on the basis of mercy, like Daniel. David and Psalm 51, have mercy upon me according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. We appeal to him on the basis of mercy. We appeal to him on the basis of God's glory. For your own glory, glorify yourself. Purify your church. Restore your people for your own name's sake so that the world might know that you are God in heaven and that you are a God of grace and mercy. Isn't that our testimony? Hasn't God glorified himself for anyone tonight who is a sinner saved by grace? Isn't that why we share our testimonies? Because it glorifies God and not man. But we also come pleading on the basis of his justice. On the basis of his justice. 
This morning we saw it in Job. I promise you, Pastor Dale and I did not talk about this. Think of John, 1 John chapter 1. How does John make his appeal? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and what? Just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We usually don't think about justice when we're thinking about assurance and and being welcomed into the presence of God, but that's exactly how we ought to think. It's because God is just. It's because God is true to his word. It's because Jesus Christ took the penalty that you deserved. It's on the basis of his justice that you cannot be punished if you're found in his son, that you can approach him boldly. Adoring him, confessing to him, petitioning him, and he will hear you. Wouldn't it be amazing to hear an angel uh, come and, and tell us what he told Daniel? I mean, wouldn't that be something? Can you imagine if, if Gabriel showed up and, and told you personally, God heard your cries And he wants you to know that you are greatly loved. But friends, did you know you have an even more sure prophetic word? The God of the universe does exactly that. There's one time in the New Testament when the phrase great love is used. And it's Ephesians chapter 2. Listen, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the, here it is, great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus in the immeasurable uh, in the coming ages the immeasurable riches of his grace is going to just go on like this forever and ever and ever in heaven we will just be extolling Jesus the savior for his great love which we did not earn and we do not deserve that's the kind of god that daniel knew And that's the God that invites you to know him. You say, how do I do do that? How do I know God? I'm a sinner. That's where you start. You acknowledge your sin. You call it what it is. 
And then you come like Daniel and you say, not on the basis of my righteousness, I don't have any. Only on the basis of your mercy. Our sins, they are many. Praise God that his mercy is more. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you tonight for this wonderful gospel truth. I thank you for Job, and I thank you for Daniel, and how they are beautiful pointers to a greater reality. Father, I pray that anyone listening and watching tonight who doesn't know you would come to know you. Father, there is nothing sweeter, nothing better than knowing the living God through Jesus Christ. Lord, all of us are wicked, and yet we plead your mercies and we plead in Christ your justice. We thank you that by faith in Jesus there is therefore now no condemnation. And Father, you cannot punish us for the sins that you punished Jesus for in our place. We thank you that he has come We thank you, O Lord, that he has put an end to sin and that he has atoned for our iniquity and help us to give him all the praise and the glory. And may others, too, come and know the living God through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to... uh, respond uh, to the preaching of his word and the ministry of the spirit as we stand to sing his mercy is more what a wonderful uh, truth Uh, i hope that it's real uh, to you uh, that your sins they are many uh, but his mercy is more let's sing it to god's honor
Hallelujah, what a Savior we have. Receive God's parting blessing as you enter this new week serving King Jesus. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you always. Amen.